Happy Father's Day, everybody. Okay, that's good. I guess nobody's excited for Father's Day and Mother's Day. Well, happy Mother's Day. Yay! Happy Father's Day. Maybe because it's not. Um, before I get started, um, Paul Washer. Uh, I don't know if you guys know Paul Washer. Uh, his, his wife told him that if there was a man-eating lion that came to North America, that lion would starve because there are no men left in North America. Um, oh, warning, turn off your cell phones. Okay. There are no men left in North America. Uh, what is he talking about? There are a lot of men here. A lot of males, not a lot of men. Um, and so that's what we're going to talk about, the meaning of biblical manhood. Um, that term, man up, um, I used to use it in the 90s. Uh, I used to say that to men who are acting like sissies. You know, stop acting like that. Man up, <laughs> right? But what does it really mean? Uh, what does it really mean to be a man? Um, last time I spoke was on Mother's Day. Uh, so I have three weeks in me, four weeks of pent up, you know, words that I have to get out. So this sermon might be a couple of hours long. Uh, <laughs> last time I spoke was Mother's Day and I told uh, the people who were here back then that the next time I come back, I'll be on Father's Day. Uh, we're going to talk about manhood. Because um, in Mother's Day, we talked about what biblical womanhood means and and so i'm going to be taking the same approach uh this morning when it comes to biblical manhood uh, like i said on mother's day um i only have one sermon to do this uh, I, I should really reserve a, a month for just manhood a month for womanhood but since i only have one sermon to do this i'm going to try to paint a picture of biblical manhood on in broad strokes so this is generalization okay and hopefully um those of you who will hear it uh, will get a, a picture, like a clear picture of how God designed men to be. Uh, just like what I did with biblical womanhood, we're going to take a look at biblical manhood by looking at the male in terms of the male's God-given design, the male's God-given role, and the male's God-given purpose. If you, got, if you were here during the biblical womanhood, those are the three things that we took up as well. Design, role, and purpose. So we live in a society where this definition of manhood or what it means to be a man is based on, mostly based on, performance and external attributes. Right? That's why I grew a little beard. I look like a man. <laughs> right? Without it, he looks too young. He looks too young. Or maybe not. <laughs> right? It, it, our society defines manhood um, as far as external attributes and performance is, is concerned. And that goes totally opposite to what the Bible talks about. What does the Bible say? God doesn't look at the external. He looks at the, the heart. Right? So just like what we saw in the video clip, our idea of manhood is someone who is strong, fast. It didn't matter if he was a bully. Because men are supposed to be aggressive. Right? That's the definition of our society that our society gives to biblical manhood. So if you look at our text in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, stand firm, stand firm in the faith, act like 
men. What does it mean? Act like men. They mean act strong, tough, courageous, be big, strong, scary. Jordan Peterson says men should be monsters. Right? Is, that, is that how we're supposed to be, man? Just dangerous creatures, just aggressive. Body Bauckham uh, summarized our society's definition of manhood with three Bs. How the man performs in the bedroom, how the man performs in the ball field, and how the man performs, as far as financial, how much billfolds does he have. So essentially, our society thinks that manly men are good with the ladies. They are athletic, strong, and fast. And those who have money, I guess I'm not a man. <laughs> right? I guess most of us here are not men. So how do we determine manhood? Right? Uh, the society's definition goes of, of manhood is so different than what the Bible talks about. So again, this morning, I'm going to try to share with you biblical, the biblical definition of manhood. And my hope is that for all the men in here, okay, those who think they're already men, <laughs> my hope is for you to hear this and understand these biblical principles and by God's grace, apply them to your own unique situations. All right? So there's no one definition of it. There's no one, app oh, not definition, but one application for it for all different situations as men. Uh, but at the basis, at the foundation, what is it to be? What, what does it mean to be a man? All right? Um, for the purposes this morning, I'm not going to go into much detail when it comes to God's design and purpose. For the male, uh, I will spend the majority of the time unpacking man's God-given role. So, having said that, let's do this. I'm going to go through a review of la last time I was here, womanhood, um, as, as, as part of the sermon for manhood. Okay? So, I provided the details for design and purpose uh, as far as mankind is concerned, in the message during the Mother's Day sermon. Uh, so for those of you who missed it, please watch it on YouTube. So I mentioned uh, during that sermon that God's design of male and female is for the purpose of what? Filling the earth with the image of God or the glory of God, and then having dominion over the creation for the purposes of subduing it. Right? You remember what subduing is? Take something that God has created to be good, and discover things about it that makes it better. Help it into making it better. Right? So I said that when God created the heavens and the earth, he created the environments first. Uh, like the sea and the air and the dry land. And then God created the creatures that will inhabit these environments by kind. Right? So when we think about the creatures, it's what kind of creature is it? It's based on the environment that it lives in. Um, then I said that uh, when God created mankind, he didn't create him based on an environment, but based on his own image. And again, this tells us that the environment that mankind will flourish and live in is God himself. That apart from God, uh, man can't flourish. Uh, only means death, right? So when God created mankind, he created two types of humans. The male type and the female type. Um, that's why, if you can remember, the original English word for woman is what? Those of you who remember. What's the old English word for woman? Woman man. Remember? 
A woman man. Why? Because a woman is a man, but a different type of man. Right? Mankind. When God created man, he created God, man in his own image. It was first man, and then he created them male and female. We're both part of the human race, so to speak. The woman is a different type of human. Uh, that's why English word for it, no, old English is human man. A woman is a type of human that will, or that's the ability to, and the equipment to bear, feed children, right? Uh, but let's not miss the fact that the female who was created after the male was created as a helper for the male. Uh, what did the male need help with? Again, multiplying. Uh, the woman's design and role uh, was given by God to accomplish his purpose to fill the earth with his image uh, and also to subdue it. Uh, so this means that the male's design should complement that of the female's design and vice versa. Vice versa. It has to. They're not the same, right? So the female can't have kids by herself either, just like the male can't have children by himself. So it's the male's job to what? Carry, deliver, or provide what? The seed in order to accomplish God's purpose. And so God designed the male to be that, the seed carrier. Now, ultimately, it is through a seed that God will send a Savior. But before the fall, the male and the female design was for the, for the purpose of just filling the earth, multiplying, filling the earth with the image of God. Now, one of the issues that I brought up in my last message was how this society has made it so that determining one's gender right now is separate, all right? Determining one's gender is separate from one's sex. Uh, where gender is something psychological and subjective. Uh, and sex was biological and objective. Remember that? Right? Your gender is something that you, who you think you are or what you think you are. Your sex is your makeup, physical makeup. Right? Um, and once again, this goes totally against uh, what the Bible teaches. And again, I said that the Bible teaches that your gender is determined by your sex. God equipped you sexually because you are male or female. God's assigned gender is accompanied by sexual reproductive equipment, which ultimately is the, the main thing that differentiates males and females of the human species. The problem nowadays is getting more hard and hard, more complicated to differentiate between males and females just by looking at them. It's hard. You go to places like Thailand and downtown Toronto. We don't even have to go far. You don't even know. Am I talking about a man or a woman? I can't tell anymore. Can't tell anymore. It's harder in ours. It gets more complicated now if it's just, if we're just going to base it on looks. You K-pop fans, right? A lot of K-pop, uh, the, the boy bands, they look prettier than, than some women. <laughs> I, I agree. <laughs> Don't they? Some of them are like, wow, that person is so pretty. 
Like, even I'm like, what? Charles Barkley and uh, Shaq, if you guys watch Inside the NBA, they're like, when we, when we, when we look at Tom Brady, he's just, he just looks so pretty. <laughs> right? It's harder and harder to determine. It's harder and harder to differentiate when it comes to physical attributes, uh, the male and the female. So how else can we determine what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman? Uh, well, just like what I said in my last message, it is through the God-assigned roles for male and female. So what does it mean to be a man based on God's assigned role for the male? Again, I'm going to quote from that book that I um, used for the Biblical Womanhood sermon uh, entitled Recovering Biblical Manhood and Womanhood uh, by my guy, John Piper. <laughs> okay. um, and there's a lot of books on this. Uh, you, I, I mean, I listen to a lot of Paul Washer sermons. Uh, but I'm like, Paul Washer, you know, all the men would leave our church if it was Paul Washer. Um, Body Bauckham uh, sermon. So you can listen to other, other resources. But this is the one that I, I'm going to use. Uh, Piper summarized the God-given role of the male uh, by saying, and I quote, that at the heart of mature masculinity is a sense, okay, is a sense of benevolent responsibility, okay, to what? To lead, provide, and protect women in ways appropriate to a man's differing relationships. So the way that a man leads and provides and protects his wife is going to be different from the way he leads and provides and protects his sister or his girlfriend, okay? So what's the man, biblical, mature man, okay? What, how, how did God design us to be? To have a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. Now, um, I'm going to kind of parse these words, okay, to just make it more clear. So, when Piper says that a mature man has a sense, a mature biblical male has a sense, or I would add innate okay, or natural sense, um, to do what? To be benevolent, kind-hearted, accepting of this responsibility to lead, provide, and to protect. I'm going to add another P to this. Okay, I know provide and protect, uh, pretty self-explanatory, but later on I'm going to add another P to this. Um, Uh, qualities or God designed or assigned role for a man. Let me clarify a couple of words in the statement. First word I'm going to uh, clarify is sense. Okay? Sense. What does it mean to have a sense of responsibility? A benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. This statement says that the essence of mature masculinity is to have is having a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, and protect. What does it mean? First, this means that a mature man does not need to be in a relationship with a woman in order to feel a responsibility to do these things. A mature man does not have to be in a relationship with a woman for him to have this sense or this benevolent responsibility to lead, to provide, and to protect. Right? Example, soldiers that are single. Why do they do it? Are they leading, 
Are they providing and protecting? But they're single, right? Men should have that. Even if you don't have a wife, those of you single, single, okay? Single men, even if you don't have the wife, you have to have that sense because you were built with that. that. That's how God designed you to be, okay? So um, that's why when I counsel young men, who come to me and asking me, when's the right time to find a wife? When is the right time to get married? Well, I ask them, are you ready and willing to give until there is nothing left to give? Are you, re are you ready to do that? Because if not, leave the, girl, leave the women alone. <laughs> right? You're just going to make it hard for these women. I say that based on experience. I put my wife through five, ten years of that. Married. But I wasn't a man back then. I was just a boy. But still, you look at her. She still she looks young. She doesn't look stressed. And, you know, what did I say? I mean, there's nothing impossible with God, right? God can still change you. But I'm saying if you're at that point where you're not ready for that, talking about, I'm a man. I can drive. Yeah, so what? Who do you drive? Yourself? And you know, you're not ready for marriage. <laughs> right? so a, lot of, a lot of people come up to me like that. Right? Unfortunately, um, and those are young men. Unfortunately, this kind of selfishness is not only found in single men. There are a lot of married boys out there. <laughs> the laughter of the women tells me. <laughs> There's a lot of married boys out there who play the role of a husband. But they're really just still bachelors at heart. They don't care. Seriously. I, I told myself, if people leave after this, like the men leave after this. <laughs> I hope not. I hope you're, you're, you're getting my point. Right? There's a lot of men out there that are like that. And they're married. You know? They do what they do. Um... Because they're supposed to, not because they really want to. Or worse, they do what they're supposed to do so that they can do what they want to do. So let me just finish my, you know, responsibility to my wife so that I can do whatever I want to do. Some of us do what we're supposed to do because we want to get something from our wives. Whether it's that let you buy a new bike, whether it's, <laughs> all right, I'll do the dishes, just uh, let me buy my bike. <laughs> I don't really want to do it. Is that mature manhood? I don't think so. Right? So that's that sense. You have to have that sense of leadership to provide and to protect for your wife, and not even just your wife. Any woman, anybody. No. Secondly, what does it mean to have that sense? Uh, you can also apply that sense to men who are not physically able to provide and protect their families, but are still mature in their masculinity. Right? Again, I'm going to quote to you uh, uh, from the book. Piper says, of these men who have this sense, right, but they're not able to provide. He may be paralyzed, Piper says. He may have a disabling disease. His wife may be the main breadwinner. 
in such a circumstance. And she may be the one who must get up at night to investigate a frightening noise in the house. <laughs> Any men like that? There's a noise downstairs. Can you go check it out? <laughs> so if you're a mature man, it shouldn't be easy for you. Like when I had gout and I'm not able to walk, somebody would ring the doorbell. I'm like, I can't. I can't do it. So can you go check? Right? It's not easy for me because I'm supposed to be the one to do it. Right? Not because I'm stronger or anything, because I'm the man. Um, but that's what Piper is saying here. There are men who has the sense, but is not able to do it. So it's not easy for that man. But, okay, what does it say? But he still has a, what? Sense of his own benevolent responsibility under God that he will not lose his masculinity. Because the mas being masculine, being a man, doesn't depend on performance. His sense of responsibility will find expression in ways he conquers self-pity and gives moral and spiritual leadership for his family and takes the initiative to provide them with the bread of life and protects them from the greatest enemy of all, Satan and sin. So even though some of us are not able to, because we're, I hope it's not because of laziness. No, because you're not able to, because of physical limitations or whatever. But you still have this sense of responsibility. Right? That happened to me when I lost my job at the bank. I felt like I'm not, I felt like I lost my identity as a man. Because I'm not able to provide him. Or she makes more than me. Right? I'm supposed to. Right? I'm supposed to be the one carrying that burden. So I felt that. Uh, and there was a time I, I pity myself. And I was taking it out on her. I'm always thinking the worst of her. I'm always assuming that, oh, because I don't have this job anymore, you can tell me what to do. Or because I don't have this job anymore, you get final say. But it wasn't. It wasn't that. I, was, I wasn't being a man when I was thinking that. Because I'm supposed to get over that. Right? And still do what I can do um, in order to provide and protect and Right? Be a leader. At that point, I wasn't leading. Right? But again, nothing is impossible with God. So I'm, trying, I'm getting ahead of myself. So that's what it means to have a sense of. It doesn't mean that you, know, that you have to be married or anything like that. But you have to have that sense. Okay, now, these next two words in the uh, Piper statement that I would like to clarify is the word, or is the phrase, benevolent responsibility. Uh, to be benevolent means to do things out of love. Right, not, out of, not out of obligation. Uh, in the uh, First Corinthians, again, stand firm, act like men, do things out of love. Right? That's what it means to be benevolent, to, wanna, to want the best for the person that you love, even at a cost to yourself. Right? Benevolent. Uh, now, the responsibility part is to accept the fact that since God made males first, He will ultimately hold you responsible and accountable for his unique responsibilities in relation to women. Right? When God and when Adam and Eve sinned, who did God call out to? Come here. Who? Adam, right? 
And what else? Check out Genesis 3.16 to 19. 3.16. To the woman he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. You shall desire... Or your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. 17. To Adam, look what he said to Adam. Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree which I commanded you. Do you notice that? God, when, when he rebuked Adam, he didn't say, because you ate of the fruit, because that was the sin, right? You didn't obey my command. You ate the fruit. That was the sin. But look, the rebuke to Adam starts with what? Because you listened to the voice of your wife. I believe this shows that Adam's first sin was not eating the fruit, but foregoing and neglecting his God-assigned responsibility to lead and to protect and to provide for his wife. That's his first screw-up. Holy Spirit. What was he supposed to do? What was Adam supposed to do at that point? When the serpent came, asked Eve, did God really say you're not supposed to eat? What was Adam supposed to do? What was Adam at this point? He was right beside Eve, right? Because when Eve got the fruit, gave it to him. He was right there. What was he supposed to do? Hey, hey, don't talk to her. Talk to me. Right? Eve wasn't supposed to go... Well, you should ask my husband. No, no, no. Eve wasn't supposed to do that. Eve was just supposed to just sit there, and Adam was supposed to stand in the gap between the serpent and his wife. But he didn't. He became passive. He neglected, for, for, he forgo, uh, he forwent the, the, the responsibility that God gave him as a leader. Right? neglected it. Mature biblical man has a sense of benevolent responsibility and gladly accepts this call from God whether in a married relationship with a woman or even with his fellow men, like his friends, his, his relatives. It doesn't have to be uh, your wife. But you have to have that sense. You have to be willing to accept that. But since you're a man, this is you. Now, what question is, you know, what is God calling us to be responsible for? Okay, what are you supposed to be responsible for, man? Based on that statement, it's leadership, protection, provision. Right? Now, let me talk about leadership first. Uh, I don't have a timer. Oh, no, yeah, I do. Never mind. Leadership. The man's God-given role is to lead. Now what does it mean to lead? Because that word could have different meanings based on the context and situations it is used in. So what does it mean to lead, for the man to lead? How does a mature biblical man lead? First, a mature biblical man leads by serving. A mature biblical man leads by serving. Ephesians 5, 23 to 25, can you guys read that? Christ, 
You know what is that? When, when Paul says, wives, submit your husbands, then right after, husbands, love your wives. To the point of death, serve to that point. What does Piper say about this? Uh, again, let me quote, uh, leadership is not, a deme uh, it's not a demanding demeanor. It is, a, or it is moving things forward to a goal. If the goal is holiness in heaven, the leading will have the holy aroma of heaven about it, the demeanor of Christ. Thus, after saying that the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, Paul says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. So notice that the leader moves things towards a goal, and he does this by serving those under his leadership. He doesn't just tell people to do things. He actually leads them, serves them, so that they can achieve the goal. Now, question is, what's the ultimate goal of your leadership, men? What's the ultimate goal of your leadership? If it's not Jesus for the glory of God, then you're leading your members short. We can lead them to a successful and happy life on earth, encourage our children to do well in school and in life, but if you stop there, we fall short, right? Ultimately, our goal as men is to fill the earth with the image and the glory of God by subduing creation through your God-given authority. How do you subdue your children? How do you subdue your wife, your friends? By taking them in, leading them towards a goal. What's the goal? Ultimately, Jesus is the goal. Right? So that means along with being a provider and protector, our leadership includes being an evangelist, disciple maker, starting with our wives and our kids. And if you, ha if you have them, if you don't have wife and a wife and, a kid, and kids, your sense of leadership should overflow to your closest relationships. Right? So when you serve, you serve that way, leading to a goal. Now, a warning to some men who takes this serving overboard. Some men serve not to be an example, not to lead, but to spoil. You get what I'm saying? Some men serve to spoil you're not leading them at that point. You don't understand what I'm saying? Will you just give them whatever they want? I'm serving. I'll just give them whatever they want. My kids are 23, 25 years old. I'll still do their laundry for them. I'll still, you know, I'll still. No. You think you're leading them towards a goal if you're doing that? No. You're making them weak. I see a lot of that going on. Not just here, but everywhere else. That's why there are a lot of weak kids out there. They get denied. You know, they lose a game. Uh, world is over. What? Man up. <laughs> because we're too soft on our kids. Right? You're not serving them at that point. You're spoiling them. And that's not the goal of serving. It's not the goal of serving. Um, so that's the first thing. Uh, mature biblical man leads by serving. Second, mature biblical man leads by example 
through humility. Say again. A mature biblical man leads by example through humility. If you lead by serving without making it clear that what you're doing is showing those whom you serve how things ought to get done, then you're just spoiling, just like I said earlier. You're just spoiling. You're not leading. The main point of servant leadership is to teach, to discipline, to encourage and inspire those under your leadership to want to follow your lead. You don't do everything for them. It's for them to see, oh, this is what I, I have to do. This is what I should be doing. Right? We can't accomplish this, first of all, if you don't have that servant leadership. Second, if you're not going to lead by example. And third, if you're not going to lead by example through humility. Right? Piper said this again, the aim of leadership is not to demonstrate the superiority of the leader. Like, I'm better than you. That's, that's not the aim of leadership. The aim of leadership is to bring out all the strengths of people that will move them forward to the desired goal. Use Michael Jordan as an example. His early years, his leadership was to show everybody, including his teammates, that he's the best. Did they win anything? No. Well, they won games, never won the championship. But after he figured out what he needs to be a real leader, example through humility. In Jordan's case, is example through passing. You pass the ball. <laughs> be humble in that sense. That you don't have to be the one to score all the time. But for us, it's that. We can't lead by example and expect them to follow if you're an arrogant leader. You get what I'm saying? It has to be through example, through humility. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ led. Right? Jesus Christ led by example through humility when he was willing to leave his place in heaven to become a human being so that he could be tortured and killed for the sins of mankind. He did this to show us, to give us an example of what it means to be a man. That's what it means. You humble yourself. But at the same time, you lead by example. So, those two things, right? How do you lead? Lead by serving. Lead by example through humility. Third, a mature biblical man leads through sacrificial benevolence. Sacrificial benevolence. Romans 9, uh, 1 to 3, you guys read that. That I the Apostle Paul here would rather be what? Accursed, cut off from Christ. For what? For the sake of the Israelites. He's trying to lead the Israelites to. Christ. And how is he doing it? Serving. Example through humility. And this last one is what? Sacrificial benevolence. He is willing to sacrifice in order to give. If you read Paul's writings, you know how important Jesus is to this man. Right? 
He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. So for him to be willing to be cut off from Christ shows just how much he loves his brothers and sisters according to the flesh. For him to do that, right? Paul did not come up with this idea on his own. Again, he is also following the lead of the perfect man, of how man should lead, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we have that same anguish, men? Do you have that same anguish? Do you have the same desire as men of God? Do you have the same love for those who are, we are related to or in relationship with? Do you have that sacrificial benevolence? Are you willing to give up certain things or even everything for the sake of those whom you love? Right? That's a hard thing, right? Because you're thinking about it. And I see some men. I see some fathers who are dressed way better than their kids. Their kids look like Can't give that up. But you call yourself man. Some can't give up our free time. Hmm. What about this? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll spend hours watching TV, going on bike rides. We'll spend hours on that. But your wife wants to go walk in the park. No. I'm tired. Your wife needs a little break from the kids. No, 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 no. That's your, your job. You're, I'm a provider. I don't babysit. I see a lot of awkward looks at me. What the heck? What, what is this? Guy? What is he talking about? No, I mean, come on. Let's just be real. I'm not going to stand here and say, you know, I'm saying, the, the reason why I know this is because I lived through it. I'm not saying this, I'm just judging you. or No, no, no. I was that guy. A lot of men are not hands-on when it comes to their kids. Can't wait to get rid of their kids. Take my kids. I need a break. Break from what? You're, the, you're a guy. You're supposed to be able to take on more. That's why you're stronger. But no, we, we forgo that. No, we, we misunderstand what it means to provide. It's not just financial. It's not, not because you fed your kids. Doesn't mean that's it. Your job is done. I'm going to get to that later on. But a guy is like, wake up, man up. That's not what it means to be a man. You give until there's nothing left to give. And again, our greatest example is the Lord Jesus Christ. So, what does it mean to lead? Serving. Example through humility. Sacrificial benevolence. So, the, the, again, I'm going to go back to the phrase of Piper. A uh, mature man is what? Have a sense, has a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead. Right? And that's the first thing that we talk about. Lead. Next is have a sense of benevolent responsibility to provide and to protect. Let's talk about provision first. Nowadays, most families rely on two incomes. 
to support their household. Some households, like mine, even have the woman as the main breadwinner for the family. She makes more than me. Right? And I mention this because this is a great testing ground for mature masculinity and mature femininity to work together. Right? What do I mean by that? This is what I mean. Even though I, I, now I don't make as much as my wife does, it does not give me an excuse to be lazy and not try to help out when it comes to providing for my family. That's not mature. If, you're, if, if your wife is making six figures and you're like, okay, I don't have to work anymore. Yes, I can stay home and be a husband. Right? I can just ride my bike and uh, watch TV and just work out. I need to look good for her when she comes home. <laughs> if you don't have a sense that you need to be helping out, Wake up, right? Man up. <laughs> if you're just at home doing facials, <laughs> talking about I need to be, look like those Korean K-pop stars, <laughs> oh, my wife can afford it. <laughs> Man up. No, no, no. <laughs> at the same time, oh, wait, before I get there, let me just read this. Mature men should be the main ones to feel the pressure to do something to provide. Piper says this again. A man will feel his personhood compromised if he, through sloth or folly or lack of discipline, becomes dependent over the long haul on his wife's income. Okay? At the same time, a mature woman will not use her making more money than her husband to take over the leadership role from her husband. Not because you make more money, you get to tell this guy just what you get the final say. You're now the leader. You're not mature. And again, the role of a mature woman is what? Help her. Help your husband. If you see your husband like that, help him to become a mature man. Don't take over for him. Subdue your husband. Make him a better leader. There's a big uh, issue right now going on with the Southern Baptists, the Southern Baptist Convention about women pastors. Are women supposed to be or can they become pastors of church? Can they? Yeah, they can. But should they? No, they shouldn't. There's a lot of women that are skilled, better speakers than men. More, when it comes to their biblical knowledge, they're, they know more. But should they take over? Could they? Yes. But again, women, that's not your role. <laughs> your role is to make the men better by being a mature woman. You don't take over just because, oh, they're not doing it. Right? At the same time, men, they're like, I don't want to do it. Let them do it. They can do it. It doesn't work that way. And if you try to make it work that way, then there's going to be issues. Because you can't take that out of them. Like, you know that you're feeling, men, okay? 
If your wife is like that, is using the her you know uh, income as like you know a weapon against you, against your manhood, don't tell me you're just gonna sit there and be like, okay, that's fine, <laughs> as long as you make money. <laughs> no, there's something in you. It's it's innate. It's it's built in. You're designed that way. You feel something, and when you feel that, guess what? There's gonna be a fight. Because you're not just going to sit there. Right? I don't care how lazy you are. That's why I thank God for my wife. I told, I told her I was going to use her as an example. Because even though I don't make as much as I used to, she never once made me feel as if I'm less of a man. Not once. She even bought me stuff. Then I can't buy. Like, I can't buy this anymore. I keep telling her I can't buy this anymore. That's why I got you. But it wasn't like a, I, I got you, therefore you owe me. No. It's never like that. But I thank God for her. She continues to support and encourage me, especially at times when I feel the burden to provide, but I'm just not able to. Right? I'm not, deacons, I'm not asking for a raise. <laughs> That's not why I say not why I said this. Because I'm willing to get part-time job. I'm willing to work outside. I'm willing to do all that stuff. Because I feel that need. I just don't want to sit at home and do nothing. But my wife, thank God that she doesn't put it over my head. Like, this is you, this is just you. This is you. This is me. No, she never did that. Thank God for that. Um, God's call for the man to provide is not only financial, but also to provide protection. And this is where protection comes in. This is where Adam failed Eve in the garden. Instead of stepping up or stepping into the gap between Eve and the serpent, Adam stayed behind Eve. Right? He didn't, she, he didn't even bark. Like my dog is like that. My dog, okay, he would walk around our yard when he hears a, a, a noise, he would run straight back and, and hide behind you. And then when he's there, he's safe. Then he starts barking. Ar, 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 ar. Because he's safe. He knows he can't be. <laughs> Adam didn't even bark. He was just staying behind Eve. Now contrast that, compare, compare that to Jesus. Jesus, on the other hand, showed us just how far a man should go in order to protect and save. He didn't. He wasn't content staying up in. He willingly went down, stood in the gap, took the cross, gave till there was nothing left to give. It's a willingness to stand in the gap. That's what it means to protect. It's a willingness to stand in the gap and to take on whatever comes in order to save. Whatever comes. Now, I'm not a fighter, I can fight. I'm not a fighter. My dad, not a fighter. <laughs> my dad, his older brother, okay, Tito Clark, he was a police, Makati police. He was a fighter. And we used to ask him, Tito uh, Clark, did my dad used to get into fights? And he's like, no, no, your dad just holds my bag and I fight for him. <laughs> We're not, we're not fighters. I'm not here. Anybody here who's a fighter? Uh, it's 
Some of you look like thugs. But essentially, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? To protect is not just to fight. It's not just to be able to fight. It's to be willing to actually stand up there and fight. So it happened to us. We were walking our dog, Levi. Uh, Levi, from afar, looks like a rabbit. Because <laughs> he's a bulldog, but he looks like a rabbit. His ears are back. He's fat. and he's just... So we were walking our dog. It was a night. On the way home, there was a fox. You know how foxes? Sitting there by the roadside and just looking at Levi. And I saw it. My wife saw it. I'm like, oh, no. He must think, the fox must think that Levi is a rabbit. So what are we going to do? We can't go around and uh, let's just keep walking. The fox never left. I, I made noises. Still there. So my wife's like, get rid of him, the, the fox. And I'm like, what if it attacks me? <laughs> I, I have no stick in hand. I have nothing to, you know, it's going to be hand-to-hand combat with a fox. So I'm like, well, I can't expect her to go. So I went, and it, it left, but it only left for a few meters, and it just sit, sat there again and started watching us pass by. So I'm like, don't worry, he's not going to go anymore. The fox is going to stay there. Let's keep walking. So we kept walking. The fox came back up around and started following. I'm like, no. <laughs> oh, no. Well, what are we supposed to do, men? I'm like, I'm not, right? Some of us are afraid of cockroaches. <laughs> right? In the Philippines, ah, it starts flying. You start yelling and stuff. But what are you supposed to do? Get your wife to go kill it? Get your wife to? No, Levi, he's going to get eaten by that thing. You know what I'm saying? Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to stand in the gap? Are you willing to protect? Um, one of my, I guess, questions for elders is that. Are you willing to stand in that gap? Are you willing to shoot the wolves? Um, Jesus did that. And he's calling us to do that as well. Uh, so that's what it means to protect. Uh, not that you know martial arts and you know, all that stuff. No, no. You've got to be willing to do it. You have to have a sense of benevolent responsibility to do it. Amen? Last P. Uh, and I'm going to close here. So, God's design for man's role is to have the a sense of benevolent responsibility to lead, provide, protect. Last P that I would like to add is that God's given role calls for the man to also have a sense of benevolent responsibility to be present. Be present. You can be the greatest provider and protector, but if you're an absentee husband and father, you miss the point. You spend too much time at work talking about, I, protect, I provide, but you're never there for your kids. You're not, you're, not, you're not there for your wife, you miss the point. You're missing the point. Um, T.D. Jakes. I know some of you, oh, T.D. Jakes, you shouldn't be listening to T.D. Jakes. Uh, well, sometimes he says something that makes sense. T.D. Jakes says that what you leave in your children is more important than what you leave to your children. What you leave in your children is way more important than what you leave to your children. 
You can leave them with all kinds of money. You can leave them with all kinds of toys. But if you didn't spend time with them, so that you can leave them with what's important, they're just going to squander all the stuff that you left to them. Right? I know men, we're supposed to, we have that innate sense to provide and to protect. But if you, if, if you stop short there again and you don't, and you're not present, and you miss the point. Biblical manhood is to be present. And not to be present as in, I'm going to be on my phone while I babysit my kids. Not that kind of present. Like actually be there. Like I'll, I'll listen to my wife while I'm watching TV. No. Like actually be there. Because if, 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 if that's not there, like imagine if Jesus and, and God, right, said, oh, I, I'm willing to save you. I will provide everything to save you. But I'm not willing to go down there. I'm not willing to be present. Then what's, how are we going to be saved? But Jesus went to that extreme. Again, God became man to be present with us in order to lead provide and to protect sometimes it's the time you spend with your family and friends is more valuable than how much you're able to give them financially and materially uh, not to mention how are you going to protect if you're not there so men remember those not just provide and protect that's short be present be present don't just buy your kids you know what I'm saying? Don't just buy your wife. Here, go shopping, shut up. Don't bother me. Some, some men do that. Seriously. Just go shop. Just stop. Just don't bother me. Again, bato-bato sa langit. Tamaay magalit. Who's our example again? Jesus. Jesus was the perfect man. He was the, he's our example to follow. He led by example in humility, in service, and in sacrificial benevolence. He provided the perfect sacrifice and died to protect us and save us from the penalty of our sins. And he did it by being present then and even now. What did Jesus say in Matthew 28? I will be with you till the end of the age. So men of GBC, man up. Just lead, don't just provide, don't just protect, be present. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. The Lord.